since I have been redeemed, I will glory in his name. What a tremendous testimony. Uh, that, is a, that is the glory of the Christian life, is that we can, we're called to, to, to give glory to our Lord, and we can now do it uh, as it ought to be done. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, and we want to begin here uh, toward the end of this chapter. I'm going to begin our reading in verse verse 10. and want to read through verse 16. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your, prep- your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which we will be, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your testimony and your truth. We just ask, Lord, your spirit would work in us, move through us. We may open your truth and your word. Rightly divide it, give us ears to hear, hearts that understand, a willing mind and a ready and ready uh, ready and willing spirit to to obey your truth as you give us direction. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to come we come now to part two of Equipped to stand strong. Equipped to stand strong. Last time we looked at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Belt of truth that ties everything together, that holds our our thoughts, our understanding, our doctrines, the things we like, the things we don't like, binds them to the truth of God. Sometimes we like to hear people speak, and sometimes we like, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we like to, uh, we, we have things that we come with, we, doctrines that we believe, these things that we hold dear to. And, and, but what we must do is see, do they fit the belt of truth? Do these things really go, right, go onto the belt? Onto the truth. In fact, the, the belt was used to hook the shield into at times. The belt held the sword. 
The belt held the garment in it. The belt actually hooked to the breastplate. And so it was, a, it was that which held everything together for the soldier. And do we have on our, upon us the breastplate of righteousness? That righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that protects us from Satan. Apart from the protection of Christ, we are prey. We are ready prey for the Satan. We have no chance apart from Christ. And so this morning, we want to look at the shoes and the shield. The shoes and the shield. So number one, gospel shoes on our feet. Gospel shoes on our feet. He says, having, your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When you looked at a Roman soldier's shoes or his boots or the, the sandals, whatever it was that he was wearing, they, were, they, were, they had these spikes on the bottom, kind of like a baseball cleat, except they were steel spikes. This would give them traction as they, as they tried to, to advance on the enemy. It also was made to protect them against these, these little sticks that the enemy would set up with razor-sharp points in the path that they were coming. And they put them down low to the ground, so hopefully they wouldn't see them. But when they kicked one of those things, it would actually puncture their foot and make them unable to walk. So the shoe was made to protect them from those from those uh, weapons. The shoe was very important. You know, one of the things I that all of us, I'm sure, one of the last things we do before we leave our house to go to work or to to, to go about our business is we put our shoes on if we haven't had our shoes on. Shoes are important. And the, the Christian is also shod. He has, we, we talk about somebody who has big feet, we say they have a big understanding. Well, our understanding today is supposed to be that we are prepared with the gospel of peace. That we're prepared with the gospel. I don't know how many of you think about this, but I leave the house many times and if you in the in the in the old west slang I'm half cocked I'm only half loaded I'm I'm I may be running on yesterday's fuel I may I may have just a, a cursory I've just looked at it in a cursory manner at the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ we'll take a bit of a dive into the gospel what is the gospel what is the gospel Greek word is euangelion, which means glad tidings or good news. And it would be the type of thing where the king would, when he conquered or they were victorious, or maybe an event like where the king had a son, he would send a runner who would go throughout the land and he would go to the big cities and he'd summon people to the town square and he'd say, hear ye, hear ye. The, the king has won another war. Or 
the king has had another son or daughter or, or whatever it was that he was. He had a, a message that he was to give. And it was good news from the king. You remember when David was waiting for news from the war with, when, when Absalom's troops and his troops were warring against each other and he looked and he saw how somebody was coming running and he said, that man runs light and he identified him. He said, he always brings good news. And that's what we should be known for. Our feet, our confidence, our ability to move, our ability to to. to To do the will of God comes with a confidence rooted and grounded in the gospel. So let's, what is the gospel? What we're talking about here is not necessarily about preaching the gospel, although that is what we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be giving the gospel to every person we can. But this here, in this particular point, it's talking about the gospel for us. It's, it has to do with standing. Let's remember, this, this passage has to do with us personally standing and resisting Satan. And so, though we are called to, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, yet it is the gospel that must be in us and must be the confidence upon which we stand. So, Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The word peace here means a tranquil state. It means It is the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort it is. Let me say that again. Peace. And this is the the definition coming out of the original language. The tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Let us remember that the gospel of peace has conquered the big issue of our lives. We get upset when things are are not right here. But there's a bigger issue than the, the things that are here. And that is our issue with God. That is where we stand with, before Almighty God. The gospel is the good news about where we stand with God. And then let this world be whatever it will be. But the good news is that the Lord reigns. And so we, we want to look at what the gospel is and turn with me I invite you to turn with me to Romans 5 in Romans 5 and we're going to begin in verse 6 
Paul here tells us what the gospel is. Beginning verse 6. I'll read through verse 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We're going to stop there. But we notice how that the gospel begins, that when we were without strength, when we were still without strength, this without strength is the same condition as Ephesians 2 where we were still dead in trespasses and sins. The dead man cannot get up out of his grave and come to Christ on his own. Lazarus did not come forth until Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. The life that Lazarus lived was life given to him by Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason he obeyed the voice of Jesus. So the gospel comes to us not as people who are hanging on by the last thread, sick to the point of almost death, refusing the gospel up until the last little bit and we'll finally take a little bit. No, it's we're dead and we've refused the gospel completely all our lives. And Christ died for us in that state. Enemies of his grace. Enemies of his truth. Enemies of his salvation. That's when he died for us. And so he says that when we have no ability, God came to us. Jesus went to heal the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the man had been laid there for 38 years and was not able to, to, to make it into the water when the water was troubled. The water would be troubled and we say, oh, here you are, grace. Find help. But he can't get to the water. You see, if Jesus had just come as a good example and that's all he had been, he could have walked through this earth without sin and we'd have never, we'd never be able to attain salvation. But because he came and he was, he was given for us, he satisfied the righteous requirement of God for us. That is why we can draw near to him. And now his life is that which, which causes us to be obedient to the truth. 
You see, it's his life in us. And so God demonstrates his love while we were dead. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love. You know, God has demonstrated that he chose to love us and not condemn us to bring us to Christ. He chose to love us. That he would not, uh, that he would pass his judgment upon his son for us. That his son who lived a perfect and sinless life and then died a sinner's death for us took the full force of God's wrath upon himself. That's what he means there in verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God put our wrath, our, the judgment, the wrath for our sins upon our Savior. Folks, we're supposed to be girt about with that understanding. That needs to drive us. That needs to motivate us. That needs to compel us to preach the gospel to those who are dead in sin and trespasses. That needs to move us. That's the confidence that we have is that a God loved us dead in our sins. God loves sinners dead in their sins and trespasses. Not that they can earn anything, but because he has chosen to love them. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So God sees the life, he sees the death he, and he, of his son, and he resurrected him from the dead. Saying that I approve, this is satisfied, my desires, what God the Father is saying. And so he declares righteous everyone who believes in him. Everyone who comes to him by faith. The very first thing he does is declares them righteous. Therefore, being justified by faith in, 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 chapter, in verse 1 here in chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God declares us righteous. And then he, began, then he goes about the process of making us righteous. And that's sanctification. We have to keep those separate. Those are two different things. Justification is saying, I declare you righteous. It's an official courtroom statement where the judge says, because the son has paid your ransom, he has paid your debt, now you are free, and he declares us right before him. And sanctification is working that righteousness out in our lives. This is what we are to be girt about with. We're to understand that God legally and rightly in the court of heaven that judges all the earth has declared the believer righteous before him. Friends, that'll put spikes in your shoes. 
That'll give you something to rest upon. That'll give you grace to move ahead. Confidence to be used by Him because of what He has done for us. This is the good news. If God reconciled us while we were enemies, verse 10, how much more will He not save us by His life? That he now lives. Our, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And what's he doing there? He is interceding for every one of his own. That means that if he has loved us enough to, to, to give his only son for us, will he not also give us all things, everything we need? To rightly be sanctified, to be right with Him, to be full of His goodness, to be overflowing with His love. Everything's there. You know, Satan comes and he accuses the believer and even accuses us in our own minds. And even when we failed, he says, you're not a Christian. You, nothing ever changed. That's, that's just who you are. He's trying to bring you back under subjection to His control. While Jesus sits at the throne and pleads with God for, for our case. And who's going to win? The accusation of Satan or the pleading of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the advocate for us in heaven. And the Father always hears the prayer of His Son. He always hears the cry of His Son. And He will always meet the need of His child. There's never a time where God lets one of His sheep go astray. We were sheep gone astray before the shepherd came to us. And so now we have come, what, what the Scripture says, to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls who is watching over us with heavenly with heavenly vigor with heavenly determination folks this is good news i don't know how to tell you any better this is good news it is that which brings peace with god for us it's that which brings assurance of faith it's that which gives us confidence to say neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. That is what the gospel is. This ought to put a hallelujah in our step. This ought to give us Day by day, reason to rejoice and praise Him. Because somebody's sitting by the throne and interceding for us. We, we, go to, we go to bat for people here, in the court, wherever. People we love, we'll, test, we'll, 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 we'll stand up for them. Our word is only as only so good. We have the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords in our corner before the majesty of the throne on high. And he is representing every one of his children there. Brothers and sisters, that's, that, that should give us confidence that whatever he brings us to and brings us through, it's not going to undo the salvation he has worked in us. Therefore, we can be bold. Therefore, we can stand. And having done all, we can stand in the evil day. So what we have is not ours. What we have is what he has given us. It is ours because he has given us, but it didn't come from us. Romans 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. What does the gospel do in us? That's what the gospel is. Now, what does it do in us? And that's the first thing. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You want your brother to be saved. You want your sister to be saved. You want your friend to be saved. You want your neighbor to be saved. You want your coworker to be saved. You want your husband or wife or whoever. You, you, you long for them to be saved. This is the means. It's the good news. We ought to be like the herald that says, Look, my king won the war. My king is established. And my king is, is interceding for every child of his, and he will keep you from the snare of the evil one. My, the world has just been overtaken by the evil one. First John is right when he says, that the world lies in the sway or in the lap or under the control of the evil one. And that is because they do not have a Savior who intercedes for them. You realize, friends, the only thing that keeps us is the fact that we have Jesus and we have Him who has given Himself for us and now intercedes for us. That's the only thing that keeps us from the judgment that's coming on this world. God sent Christ to save us from wrath. The wrath is not the wrath of Satan. Martin Luther rightly said, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Listen, it's not Satan's wrath that God saved us from. It's his own wrath. Christ saves sinners from the wrath of Almighty God. That's good news. And the good news of the gospel will make us confident in that. Faith comes as a gift from God to believe in the word of God as a true record of God's saving love for us. That's how we believe. That's how we come. 
The gospel gives us boldness because it is the reason we stand. It's the reason we, we have confidence. The gospel in our hearts is like the hobnail shoe on the Roman soldier, which gave him traction and protected his feet. So we must have traction, and our feet must be protected from the evil one. The gospel believed in our lives is going to bring us joy. It's going to bring us joy. It's going to bring us peace. It's going to bring a joy in our hearts. There's going to be a spring in our step. There's going to be confidence in our walk. Because we know whom we have believed. Are you living your life this morning, believer, with the gospel of peace? With God as your confidence to go wherever He leads. Is that how you're living your life this morning? Or must you be in control? Now God gives us things and He asks us to take charge of things at times in our lives. It's not not talking about just leaving our lives carelessly open-ended with things that we can control. But there are so many things we can't control. And the problem is we want to control what we can't control. We don't want to control what we're supposed to control. God wants to bring that back into right order so that our lives become ordered by His grace. But there are things we can't control and we need to be okay with that. We need to be fine with that, giving it all to Him. And I want to ask you, is that how you live? Is Is the gospel bringing peace to your heart? about what you can't control. Do you know the gospel? And are you wearing the gospel every day? If if somebody came to you and said, I wonder what he or she is about, how long would it take them to find out that it's the gospel that's at the core of your being? It's that saving grace of God. It's that power that raised Christ from the dead that has raised me from the dead. And I now rejoice in God our Savior. Do your people, your family around you, your people you work with, do they really know that what you're doing is living out the gospel? This is a challenge for me. I have bad days sometimes. Some days I don't have the words, it seems like, to to, to be, to confront people with the gospel. And I could take care of them in my office, give them everything they need, send them out the door, and they'd never know that I'm a Christian. And what a shame. When When the Son of God is interceding on my behalf, To make me know the gospel of peace so that they might know the gospel of peace. You see, it's peace with God. And yes, it's going to bring war with the world, with the world's philosophies. But that peace cannot be conquered by the world. It never was and never will be. 
Are you prepared every day to take the gospel? Are you prepared, first of all, for the gospel for yourself? That as you go about your day, are you prepared to take the gospel of peace with you? And that it moves you. Let me tell you, prepared with the gospel of peace, a soldier of Christ prepared with the gospel of peace, effectively robs Satan of his opportunity to cripple us, of his opportunity to to take away our ability to stand. When someone knows the gospel and they they have faith in Christ, and they are, in, they are overjoyed with the gospel. Young men, you have trouble in your lives with your thoughts. Have you ever thought about preparing your heart with the gospel of peace before you start your day? Old men, you have trouble with your thoughts. Have you ever thought about taking the gospel of peace and preparing your heart with it before you begin your day? Young women, older women, you have trouble with your tongue or you have trouble with some other thing in your life. Have you ever thought about taking the gospel of peace and preparing your heart with it? You see, the gospel of peace is going to change how we live it's going to turn us from being turned into ourselves to be turned to Christ that's a testimony that the world will readily see and know something's different here something's changed here something's not like us this man or this woman has something different What does it mean to take hold of the shield of faith? Taking hold of the shield of faith. Let's move to the next verse here in Ephesians 6. Taking above all. First thing he says is above all, which means in addition to as well as over and beyond or over and above what he's, everything he said previously. That means this is the most important thing. This this is the most important thing for your defense as a Christian. He's telling us that this is this piece of our protection cannot be it's not negotiable to leave it alone, to leave it off. You take it up. You take it up. That word to take up literally means to take up to use or to raise up to use. I still remember that when I was helping a, a, a block mason lay block years ago, I was supposed to keep the mud in the blocks there. And when he picked up his trowel, I knew it was not just to carry it around. He picked that trowel up to use it. And when he picked that trowel up, that meant I had to have the mud and the blocks there. 
And that's what he's talking about. You pick up that, sh- that shield of faith and you are to use it. It's to go with you. Now, this means in the, in the original to raise up, to take a thing in order to use it. It's not a haphazardly loose attitude about our faith. It's not like, oh, well, I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try Jesus today. Or, or I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, do the best I can for God. Taking up your faith is a faith, taking up the faith that saved you. If you're a believer this morning, you were given a faith. You were given the faith to rest in Christ. And it's taking that faith and exercising it. Using it again and again and again and again. Continually putting your trust in Him. Walking in a manner of trustworthiness. This is how the war against the evil one is won. We want to get out here and we want to fight with our own strength. We want to abandon the shield because we don't like it. We want to get out here and do our thing and make something happen. But we must take up the shield of faith because without it, we are defenseless. He says, take up the shield. This shield was about two and a half feet wide. It was about four feet tall. And it was... It was designed with, with wood or sometimes a, a, a bronze or steel and, and wrapped with thick leather. <clears throat> and this shield had a metal edge around it that could be hooked into the shields of other soldiers. And thereby they would, they would make a wall. And they would move forward together in step. And, and, and there was a solid wall of protection there. This shield was also either saturated with water or with a certain kind of oil so that the fiery arrows that, were, that would hit it would just go out. They were extinguished. Now, I want I us to think a little bit about the fiery darts, the fiery arrows that Satan throws at us. When somebody shoots an arrow at someone else, their intent is to kill that person or to maim them in the battlefield. But when the enemy shoots fiery arrows, they're arrows that have a torch on the end of them. And they're designed to do more than just kill somebody. They're designed to destroy any structure of defense that, that, milita- that the other side has. And so Satan wants to put arrows into your life that do more than just take you down today, but they provide collateral destruction. You know, when Satan tempted Cain to kill Abel, it did more than just rob him of his brother. It caused Cain to turn away from God. How many times, men, across this nation has Satan put the temptation of pornography into somebody's life and the destruction was catastrophic? It affected more, not only them, but everybody around them. 
You see, unless we are able to extinguish those fiery darts, they will do damage. There's no way around it. The shield of faith is the answer. The shield of faith. That faith that was given you as a gift to come to Christ is the answer to put out that temptation. That's why we're to use it. Faith. And here in this particular place, he's not talking necessarily about saving faith, although it is, but he's talking about living faith. And living faith is simply exercising the same faith that God gave us when we were saved. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, and let's look at verses 2 through 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering that without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us, And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's notice that he says, We give thanks for you, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Faith comes without any works. We don't come to Christ bringing works. It's his work and his work alone. It's our faith put in trusting into that into that work that saves us but faith that comes from alone does not remain alone faith produces a work just as surely as a seed produces a tree and the tree produces the fruit faith produces works We're not saved by those works. But they are evidence that faith is there. How do you know when you go up to a tree and you pick its fruit, how do you know what that tree is? It's an apple tree if you pick apples from it. You don't pick thorns off of apple trees. You don't pick raspberries off of apple trees. It's a different kind of tree. Different kind of bush. And so it goes that our faith produces the works that God intended it to produce. Faith here means to have faith in God. It means the fidelity or the faithfulness that comes out of our trusting God. Let's let's note what he says here about these people. First of all, we know you're... We, we, knew you, we know your election by God. We know that election because faith came and faith brought works. 
He says that the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. There was much assurance that came out of you practicing this faith. You became confident so that you were able to do what? You received this word even in much affliction. The affliction never stopped you from putting your faith and continue to exercise it in the Lord. It brought joy in the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we were to look down the next several verses, it was so evident that they became examples of what a Christian should look like in the whole region of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, folks, I'm just going to tell you, if the faith goes from you in this manner, that's a message preached. That's a message preached. God wants our faith to grow so that it's evident who's at work in us. We need to be able to look at a fellow Christian and say, God is at work there. And when God is at work there, it becomes evident to the world because they can't mimic the works of God. They, they try. They can put up a facade. But they can't truly imitate the works of God. So this faith is implicit trust in Christ. It's assurance to us. And it's this assurance in Christ Jesus that causes those fiery darts to go out. If when that temptation would come to you and, you, and you sent Christ to the door, if you please, that temptation comes knocking, and you send Christ to the door, what's going to happen to Satan's effort? It's extinguished. Christ has totally conquered Satan. In fact, the Bible gives the idea that he has taken him down and put his foot on his neck. Satan is in total control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when faith in Christ is what goes to the door to meet the temptation, the fire goes out. That's why he said, take the shield of faith. Do not forget about the faith that saved you and the faith that he wants you to exercise to put the fire out. You see, that's why the men of old had confidence going to the stake to be burned. That's why Martin Luther wrote that song. And though this world with devils filled would threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. A life soaked in Jesus Christ by faith in Him cannot be penetrated by the fiery darts. 
That's what he said. He says, you take up the shield of faith by which you will be able. And that word to be able, it's not only just faith, but it's a faith that enables us to put the fire out. It's an exercise of our faith that actually gets that stuff out of our lives. And faith enables us, and in the word enable here is dunamai. It's the word that comes over into the English language with, from, for the word dynamite. There's extreme amount of explosive power in dynamite. And he's saying there is that kind of extreme ability to put out the fiery darts of the evil one in this faith in Christ. The problem is Satan wants us, though we have been saved by faith, he wants us to not, still not believe Christ. He wants us to doubt what God has said. Turn with me to 1 John 5. This will be the last passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 5. Young men, young women, Satan has, is throwing today all sorts of things at you. And they're like these bombs that go off. You know, we were, at, we were visiting recently at Fort Sumter, and they had a cannonball there about that big around. And it had a hole in the one side. And they dump a charge, a powder, in that side. And it was designed to be shot into a ship. And once it entered the hull of the ship, the, the powder would explode. And it would just cause devastation and fire inside the ship. And that's what a fiery dart is aiming to do. And so when we come to this place, Christ is enabling His, Christ, His children that when those fiery darts come, and they are going to come, that the effect is stopped. Okay, let's look at verse in, in chapter 5, beginning verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Take this with you. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who be that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. To... to to exercise that faith, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God here and now and right here in my situation, in this place. And this testimony, that He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that He sits at the right hand of the Father, our faith overcomes the world. You see, when we see the glory of this, the world's glory looks like trash. 
It looks like nothing. And that diffuses the whole situation. When you can look at the world as trash, you've diffused the bomb. It's when we grasp onto the things of the world and we hold them dear and hold them tight. That's when it's doing damage. That's why in John he says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever you see friend the bad thing about the day of judgment is that men are going to look back and realize they got deceived they got deceived by what looked so good out there and that bomb went off in their lives and they were in no place to come back and there was no hope for many of them The exercise of our faith does exactly this. It, may, it overcomes the world. It's the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. I want to ask you this morning. Some of us, I know all of us, need this today. A number of us have faced some very difficult things in our lives. Just in the last year, we could look back in the last year and we could we could see some very painful and difficult things. And I want to say this. God's not going to always stop the painful things from coming. But what he does is as deals with us. So the pain does not destroy us. He deals with us. So that the discouragement doesn't take us down. He deals with us so that difficulty doesn't overwhelm us. He grows us in our faith and our trust in Him because He is greater than the pain. He has overcome the difficulty. The circumstance is under His feet. We have to understand that. It's hard. It was hard for the for the, the prophet's servant to see the horses and chariots of fire when all he could see was the Assyrian army all the way around him. And they were coming after him and his master. But Elisha says, open this man, praise, and he says, open his eyes. And when his eyes were open, he began to see that the Lord was around and the Lord was there. And what does Elijah say? There's more with us than be with them. I don't care how bad it looks in this life. I don't care what kind of fire Satan is throwing into your life. I don't care how difficult it's going to get. You can know one thing. There's more in that shield of faith 
than anything Satan ever will put in your life. All of heaven and its power is behind that shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The problem is we get convinced that it's a burden and it's a cumbersome thing to carry with us and we forget about it. I want to tell you, I want to exhort you this morning, take up the shield of faith. Do it intentionally. I am going to trust Christ through this. I am going to live my life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trust Him for what I can't do. Do not run to your psychiatrist or your psychologist to try to improve the situation of your life. Unless that person is leading you to Christ. Unless they are taking you to the Word of God. They don't have the answers, folks. Unless they can point you to Christ, they don't have answers. They can make you feel better for a while, but that's all they'll do. You're going to have to come back again and again and again and again, and you won't get the answer. The answer is your faith. Your faith that saved you is a faith that keeps you. It's the faith that will preserve you to the very end. To the believer this morning, will you take up the faith that God has given you in Christ and put, put rest your full life, your weight of your full, full weight of your life upon Him, trusting His power and His goodness Trusting him to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Will you do that this morning? I believe it will change your life. To the unbeliever, I ask you this morning, do you understand the complete inability you have to withstand Satan? In fact, I'm going to say what the Bible says. You're in his lap. And he's got his sway over you. Does that come? Do you understand the full weight of that? You need Christ. You need his life, his death, and his resurrection in you. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we earnestly pray that you're your will would be done in our lives, Father. And that you, we would have the confidence, Lord, that comes from the gospel, knowing what you have done for us and in us. Lord, give us the confidence to take up the shield of faith and exercise it with full assurance upon the attacks of Satan. These are real, Lord. They do damage in our lives. They're destructive in every way. But you have promised us that faith will quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so I pray this morning for every one of your children here today that they would be able to, to, to take a fresh grip on the, sword, on the shield of faith. 
and would be able to stand in the evil day. I pray, God, for the unbelievers among us, Lord, who don't know you. Lord, I just pray that you would have mercy on them and that their hearts would be touched by your word this morning. That your truth may penetrate their hearts and they may understand that they need Christ. Give them grace, Lord, to come to him, to run to him, to embrace him, to be saved, to give up the weight of their sin and embrace the joy of the salvation of knowing you, Lord. We ask for your guidance and your direction upon us. Keep us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you may be dismissed. Thank <clears throat> you.